People tell me all my life I've been dealt with some really crappy cards, but whilst everyone being dealt cards, that means I'm still in the game. And it's about how I choose to play those cards that allows me to live a great life. So stop comparing your cards to other people and start being grateful that you still have cards. Raw, real, and remarkable. These are the three words we'll use to describe this episode with Michael Crossland. Michael has been a fighter since birth defying the odds of surviving not only a rare form of life-threatening cancer, but being the sole survivor of a horrific cancer drug trial. His battle continues to this very day, having spent nearly one quarter of his life in hospital. Michael is a true fighter, and despite only being told what he could not do, he continually shows the world absolutely everything that he can accomplish. Michael is one of Australia's most inspirational and sought-after globally renowned speakers. And we're so grateful that Michael decided to come on board to share his remarkably inspiring story of overcoming extreme adversity to achieve incredible outcomes in both his personal and professional life. Truly a story of being against all odds. Trust us when we say that Michael's story will undoubtedly bring a tear to your eye and a smile to your heart. Spoiler alert, you might want to get some tissues for this. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern-day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. So, Michael, let's start with the very early days of your life and take us back to the year, was it 1984-85? Your story be- began before you were even one. So after three daughters, your parents were trying for a fourth child and they really wanted a baby boy. And there you are, the blessed, healthy baby boy. But things took a turn during a very specific visit to the doctor for what was meant to be your sister's ear infection. But it was the day that your lives turned upside down. Well, I'm very impressed with your research, Sarah. That is tremendous. But you're right. I was 11 months of age. I went to the doctors with my mom and my sister who had an ear infection and, and I'm much more of a hugger. I don't really do the handshake thing. So as many of you are aware, over the last few years, it's been very interesting. Uh, I haven't been able to hug anybody. I haven't been able to shake people's hands. I'm meant to elbow bump you, but that's the elbow that I sneeze into. So for the last few years, I've just been doing this little bow, saying hello to everybody. But that's what I was as a kid. I was a hugger and I give the doctor a hug and his knee brushes my stomach. He thinks that doesn't feel right. I'm taking a, my local hospital. Uh, that night, I was airlifted to Sydney Hospital, and the following morning, I was diagnosed, unfortunately, with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called stage four neuroblastoma. Uh, the doctor said there was no chance of survival to take your little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family because there's nothing that we can do. But like everybody listening and, and everybody on the planet, we, we all have choices. And I think the choices that we make each and every day can can really help to reshape and remold and redefine our future. And my beautiful mom asked one question. I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying. I just want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. And unfortunately, my my survival rate was less than 4%. And they said to just go home. But I'm so grateful still to this day that my mom chose to look at my life being 4% full and not 96% empty. And I started chemo on my first birthday. My chemotherapy cycle was nine days on and three days off. Uh, nine days on, three days off, not for weeks, not for months, but for years. I was on that same cycle until one day the doctors discovered that the tumor had built a resistance and it had now taken over half of my body. It was between my internal organs and my spine. And then it started wrapping around my aorta. They said, I need to go into surgery. I went into surgery. Six hours later, they said they didn't get it all. And unfortunately, they said that that was it. There was nothing they could do. 
But the following day, there was an American doctor. He was trialing an experimental drug. They were going to trial it on 25 patients around the world. And they asked whether we wanted to be number 25 because they already had 24 candidates. And we obviously said yes, because you know, I'm, I'm sure many of us would agree that hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. And, and it gave us hope. And we started that, that drug at 9 a.m. on Tuesday morning with 24 other families. And within one day, we we're all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. Unfortunately, the side effects of the drug were so bad that we were completely covered from head to toe. We were covered in blisters. Uh, they would wrap us up in bandages and they would lie us in bars full of ice trying to prevent our brains from frying. But sadly, within 90 days, uh, 24 out of 25 of us had tragically passed away. And I say to people all around the world now that I'm one of the lucky ones, but I, I never say I'm one of the lucky ones because I'm still alive. I, I say I'm one of the lucky ones because I wasn't my mum. And my sweet mum had to go to death counseling once a week to deal with what was going to happen to a little boy. She, she had to make a choice to inject a drug into a child that's killed everybody that's ever taken it. And, you know, I, I still, to this day, am so eternally grateful for the lessons that she taught me and the, the mindset that she instilled in me in such a young age. You know, she taught me some things like no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do. They'll only ever tell you what you can't. And it's, and it's not the adversity in your life that defines you. It's how you deal with it. And she, she got the word one day after 18 months of being on that trial drug that I was allowed to go home, but I would never go to school. I would never play sport. I'd be a housebound baby. And if I reach my teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And she come through the curtains and I, I made out I didn't hear that the doctors had just told her that. And I said, what did the doctors say? And she told me, oh, everything, everything's going to be okay. And I, you know, I, I'm so grateful that she instilled that belief in me at such a young age. And she allowed me to go to school. She allowed me to have a dream. And that dream was to one day play baseball in America. And obviously, as we're about to share, there was some many challenges along the way. But, you know, I, I remember going to school and my time at school some days was harder than my time in hospital because there wasn't one day in hospital that I got picked on. There wasn't one day at school where I didn't get picked on and I think that that really taught me such a valuable lesson at such a young age that your value doesn't decrease based on one's inability to see your worth. I remember seeing this great saying, and it was something along the lines of, don't let the ugliness of others affect the beauty in you. And to be able to learn that at such a young age and to be able to really harness that negativity from others, but also to really focus on the joy from within, it really has enabled me to not allow the negativity around me to impact me, but rather really focus on what I want to achieve in my life to be able to make my dream come true. And, and back in those days, I'd play baseball in America. And obviously I was getting closer and closer, as you know, playing the sport that I loved. Uh, but unfortunately, at the age of 12, I suffered my first major heart attack. I was in hospital for nearly three months and I was told that I'd never be able to play sport again. But my mum said, you can make your dreams come true. And, and I, I really wanted to make them come true. And as you know, two and a half years later, Everything changed when I made the Australian Expos baseball team and I got a chance to fly to the other side of the world and, and play baseball in America and listen to our national anthem, get, uh, you know, watch our flag get raised. Um, I played over there when I was 14, 15, 16, 17. And uh, when I was 17, I was lucky enough to sign a scholarship to live in America and play baseball. You've taken us through the whole, you know, from discovering the very heart-wrenching um, truth of what your childhood was going to potentially look like going in and out of hospital battling neuroblastoma and trying to fight against the cards that were dealt with you, but you really made the most out of it and even got to go and play baseball, sign a contract, move across the world in America. But 
what did that feel like when you got to go to America and kind of live out your most audacious dream and then find out later on that once again, there's been a curveball that's been kind of thrown your way? What did that whole reality of that situation look and feel like at that time when you were at yeah, the was, peak of your life? Yeah, it was certainly a pinch yourself moment. It was a moment where we realized that we can't spend our life listening to the naysayers, listening to those that are just trying to hold us back. And again, reflecting on that statement of no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do. They're only going to ever tell you what you can't. So to really believe in yourself. And, and I think, you know, to share a little of my message through story, but also to, you know, direct straight to those that are listening today. I, I think that, you know, we, we strive so hard for other people to believe in us. We, we want to get the views. We want to get the likes. We want to get the comments in this materialism world that we live in today. But I think that you can obtain all of those things. But I think at the end of the day, if you can't love and value the person that looks back at you when you brush your teeth of a morning, of a nighttime, whenever you choose to brush your teeth, I really think that there's going to be a massive piece of your heart, a massive piece of your life missing. So for me to be able to get to that point was incredible. I was always the guy that did 10% extra that allowed me to fall into the 1% category of people who get a chance to achieve their dreams. And I remember I was always the last guy doing 10 laps because I was the only guy doing 11. I was the last guy doing 100 push-ups because I was the only guy doing 110. And I really think that the sacrifices that we make really determine, you know, how incredible our life is. And, and it's what we do when no one's watching that ultimately determines the height of our success. And I see it nowadays, you know, especially from a coaching point of view, everyone does everything that you think they need to be doing when you're watching. But all of a sudden you turn your back, you walk away, you've got no accountability and now you just relax, you switch off and, and you're not accountable for your true success. So for me, that was really ultimately, you know, important for me to be super accountable and take ownership of how high I wanted my life to, to take me. But as you mentioned, I was only over there for six months before, unfortunately, my health deteriorated rapidly again. My heart couldn't compete. Uh, financially, we couldn't afford to be there. And I slid into a base in Arizona. I woke up three days later in hospital and I was sent home less than a month later. And I never played baseball in America again. I didn't finish my studies. I came back to Australia. I did a TV show on Australian stories. And, and then I had to find a real job. I'm curious to know, Michael, having sort of triumphed over your adversity in the beginning and, you know, having made it to the team, have you ever at any one point felt angry at the situation and thought, why me? Why is this happening to me now? You know, I thought I've already overcame this seemingly huge challenge and get to live my dream. How, how did you navigate those, you know, any conflicting emotions, if there were any? I think back in those days, I, I was young. I was, you know, not the most well-educated. I was going to say I was young and dumb and energetic and passionate, but I tried to reframe that to sound a little more professional. But there has definitely been times, as we will share throughout this presentation or our, our catch-up, that there has been definite times where I was like, why me? You know, 2010, we'll get there. But in 2010, I got bacterial meningitis. I got fluid on the brain and I got to a point where I was like, why me? I, I'm overfighting. I gave up. I didn't want to fight anymore. And I realized now reflecting back that, you know, I, I'm a man of great faith and I really believe that God gives his greatest challenges to his toughest soldiers. And maybe subconsciously as a young man, I, I reflected on that. Now I can actually visualize that. And that has ultimately determined how I look forward through the challenges that I have faced. And now even of very recent times with health struggles. I replaced my fear of dying and my fear of uncertainty with my faith. And that has been a huge weight lift for me. So, Michael, what happened after you returned back to Australia? 
So I got a job in banking. I had a turn of events. Yeah, it was it was a little different to go from playing baseball on the other side of the world to being a greeter at a bank, standing there saying good day to everybody. But I I remember being asked very early on, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And that was from the CEO. And I, I remember saying back to them, in, in five years' time, I'm going to take your job. And uh, hot tip, don't ever say that to your CEO. It didn't land very well. It didn't go down very well at all. But, you know, I, I was driven. I was determined. I was motivated. And I climbed the corporate ladder very, very quickly, as you know. Uh, within four years, I was the youngest uh, sales development manager for one of the largest companies in the world, 600 staff, you know, 120 banks around Australia and New Zealand. I caught up with the CEO every, every second Friday, but I was driven by the three P's that destroy people. I was driven by power, privileges, and possessions. And uh, I had to have the multi-million dollar house and the hundred thousand dollar sports cars and the Rolexes and the Armani suits. And you know, as I sit here in my beautiful home, in my lovely kitchen, I I say that because, and I raise that because back then I wanted to achieve all the materialism so I could show other people and prove to other people my value, my worth. Now, you know, we're very blessed to, to live in a beautiful home, but that's our home. And, and I'm proud of it because I can, I can enjoy it and we've worked really hard for it and we deserve it not to show to other people how much I'm worth and how beautiful our home is. So there's a really big distinction or a big difference. And I hope that people can connect with that because if you're watching this and you're really determined and driven to achieve success and whatever success looks like to you, and ultimately for everybody, it changes. And for me, it's periodically changed throughout my life of what I think success is. And for me now, success is about getting out of bed and knowing in my heart that I can make a difference in somebody else's life. But if it is to have the fancy house and the cars and all that sort of stuff, that's great. But just make sure there's substance behind it, not just materialism. Make sure you have a dream and a goal, but you want to be able to share that dream and goal with somebody else because it can be very, very lonely at the top. And in 2010, I was riding the corporate ladder. I was driven by all this stuff and I got really sick um, after I invested all my mum's money just before the GFC hit and lost all of her money when mum and dad separated. I started this spiral that took me really out of my control. And 2010, bacterial meningitis, fluid on the brain, Bell's palsy down the right-hand side of my body. I'd had enough. And my wife would come in every night and she would say, I love you. And I'll see you in the morning. And I'd wait for her just to get far enough out of the hospital room. And, and I would say, I love you and goodbye because I, I was done. And, you know, I really believe that the two greatest days in one's life is the day that we are born and the day that we discover why we are born. And often we discover our why in our darkest moments. And for me, that was that moment. I discovered all I needed to do is master two things. I needed to master what success was, and I needed to master the gift of giving. And you will understand how I perceive that success is about serving others and making an impact. And the second one was, was giving. It was about giving without remembering and receiving without forgetting. And that's when I went on this real big drive to make a difference in the world, make a global impact and serve other people. Wow, and you summarize that very succinctly, but we know through your life story that during that period of the 20s, 2007, when your parents also had a separation, so there was a crisis on the personal family front. And then, as you mentioned, you got sick, really ill, to the point that you thought that you were not going to live another day, right? So much had happened, and once again, it was something that truly tested the limits of your mental resilience, perseverance, and strength. How did you get to that point of clarity of what your purpose is? And, and the reason why I ask that is because I think there's a, many of us who um, sometimes have large life crises that hit us. And in your case, it was multiple crises, one after another. 
And when you're so dark in the pits of life, it's often difficult to see the light at the end of the tunnel. How did you get from contemplating whether you would see another day, feeling really gloomy down in the pits to seeing that light at the end of the tunnel and figuring out your purpose and your clarity in life? Yeah, great question. I think for me, two points that I would love to share with you all off the back of that question. First one is I think we need to embrace the coolness of the shadows so we can truly enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. We need to sit in the darkness to discover how much more we have in us. You know, I love that phrase, this too shall pass. You know, when times are really tough and you're in the darkest space of your life and you think that the world's against you and life is not fair, if you can just reflect and ponder on that thought just for a moment that this too shall pass, it gives you permission to look forward to the future. It gives you excitement and energy to realize that things are going to change. But also what's so powerful about that statement is when things are amazing and life is incredible and you're healthy and you're happy and you've got your family and you're having wins and successes, this too shall pass, which also just gives you that moment to stop and be grateful and reflect on how incredible your life is because you don't want to live your life with regrets. You don't want to get to a point where you've lived a life and thought, oh my God, I've missed, I've missed the journey. I'm at the destination, but I've missed the journey. The second thing that I wanted to share was that it was almost like I was in a well and I was just paddling uh, to keep my head above water. And we've all been there, right? We just think that, man, if, if the world throws one more thing at me, one more phone call, one more tragedy, one more darkness, one more bit of adversity, how am I going to keep swimming? How am I going to keep going? And I got to the point where I was like, you know what, enough's enough. And I gave up, but I realized that when I sunk to the bottom of the well or that darkness that you spoke of, the water was only this deep. So I was paddling in the shallow end of the pool, wondering why I'm exhausted. And then all of a sudden, when I just let go and I gave up and I sunk to the bottom of the well, I could touch, I could reach, and I could still breathe. And I think whilst ever we can breathe, we can get clarity, we can get purpose, and we can really climb our way out. And I think that if we can understand that no matter how dark we are, we can still breathe. And whilst ever we can breathe, we can get that conviction, we can get that clarity, we can have a vision and a goal and find our purpose. I think that can be a huge, huge moment in your life to be able to course correct and start to lead and live a remarkable life. I love how you pointed out that we do need to sit in the darkness, Michael. And in fact, quite recently, I got into some conversations with friends around how there needs to be the lowest of lows in order to reach the mountain highs. And that part of the suffering and the challenges also speaks to the ebbs and flows of life, but it also gives us a cause to be grateful for the good times and be aware that the hard times are there to help us grow and be better people. So thank you for that reminder as well, Michael. If you haven't already, we'd like to ask you to hit the follow button on Spotify and across all other podcast platforms. This means a lot to us as it helps us grow and reach a wider audience. With that, we'll be able to reach more guests to make Explore This Podcast bigger and better for you. Thanks in advance. And now let's jump right back into today's episode. I want to fast forward a little to 2017. And that was the time when you and your beautiful wife were finally pregnant with your son, Lachlan, after five difficult years of IVF. And he was delivered nine weeks premature and was fighting for his life. Can you bring us back to that season in your life when he was first born? So you, you've, you've brought up one of the most emotionally challenging parts of my journey. 
because for those that don't know, uh, we were told that we'd never be able to have a family. And in 2011, we decided to give back to the world from a humanitarian point of view. And we opened a school in Haiti after the earthquake hit over there and killed 316,000 people. And we now have 270 students at our school. And then we decided to open an orphanage where we have 44 beautiful little babies that we get to look after because we want, we had, we had this heart to give and we had this heart to be parents and we were told we wouldn't be able to do that. And now the, you know, the kids over there are just, they bring so much joy and happiness into our lives. But in 2017, when all that went down, you know, my wife went into labor on the 8th of December, 2017, and we were due to have him in February. And then four days later at 6.40 PM, she gave birth to our little boy named Lachlan James. And, you know, he, he was taken away from us. He was put in a little plastic bag and then in a glass container and he was put in intensive care unit level three where we couldn't hold him. We couldn't kiss him. We couldn't hug him. And, you know, I, I really feel as though I, I felt at that time that I failed. I failed as a dad. I felt like I failed as a husband because I couldn't take the pain away from those that I love more than anybody on the planet. And yeah, we were told to prepare for the worst and to even contemplate organizing a funeral for your own child is gut-wrenching and debilitating. I, I remember screaming one day when the doctor told us that they feel he has an illness called sepsis, a blood disease. Uh, I remember saying, you can take my house, take my car, take my followers, take my career, but please don't take my little boy. And, you know, I am so eternally grateful that I sit here in front of you in 2024 with a beautiful, healthy little six-year-old boy who's in year one at school today. And, you know, I realize what true love is now. And I understand that it's like another little human running around on this planet with my heart in, in his body. And I thought that that was the human connection and the love and where our family stopped. But in 2020, um, my wife and I and our little boy were in lockdown for a long time um, because of my immune system and the health challenges that I faced in 2016. They found four more tumors in my throat and told me that, you know, maybe Christmas was going to be a bonus. I, I really had to protect myself during the outbreak here in Australia. And uh, I think it was nine, 10 months or something. And every, you know, food would be delivered and we'd spray it with Glen 20 and hose it with water and we weren't allowed to see our friends and our family and not allowed to see the in-laws and all those sort of things. But my wife fell pregnant. And in 2021, we had a beautiful little girl named Summer Grace. And, you know, she's three now. She tests the limits of our soul. She's a real handful. She's a challenge. I've been told that my son will be a wonderful employee, but she will be a wonderful employer because she is, she is very dominant. She is, she's the powerhouse. She gets you go, punch, Summer Grace. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, you know, I, that season in my life and the season that I'm in now, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. Many of my friends have got kids that have graduated high school and I'm, I'm still changing nappies, but I know that I'm in this beautiful space right now. And, you know, I, I love when they call me daddy. I love, I love when they annoy me. Some days I feel as though I'm frustrated by their annoyance, but I'm just so grateful to have two kids and a beautiful wife. And every day, every day above ground is a great day. And you know, I'm just so truly blessed to, to have a family. Oh, Michael, I mean, it truly is a story of, of a miracle, right? The, the days felt so numbered and it came straight from the doctors and it felt so grim and so bleak, right? He knowing that truth um, was hanging over your head. But to know that 
you know, years later, you know, you have two beautiful bundles of joy, living a, a very blessed life. I think that is a testament that miracles do exist. And it's just so inspiring to hear that story and how you and your whole family have overcome all of this together. But I know you have mentioned your wife a few times during our discussion, and I actually wanted to speak about being a partner of someone who is going through an illness, right? In your case, you found out again in 2016 that you had a diagnosis of the four tumors of your throat. And I can imagine that as your wife being someone who is journeying alongside you, that is so painful to hear. What would you say is an advice to someone who is supporting, you know, their other half of their loved ones through a difficult diagnosis and illness or a life journey of How can we, you know, as listeners, as friends, as families, be better supporters to those who are going through very, very difficult challenges? Yeah, beautiful and fantastic question. Uh, 2016, I was diagnosed and that was a really character building moment in our relationship and in our life. And then again, as you know, in, in 2022 uh, of October, October 15th, I was diagnosed again. They found six more tumors in my throat and that was really different for us as a family because in 2016, it was my wife. In 2022, it was, was my wife and, and our two kids. And now all of a sudden, like, what happens if I don't come home from the operation? How does everything continue? How does the, the roof over the head, the, the gardens, the pool get clean, the, you know, the school be everything? How does that all happen and continue if she's by herself? And I... I really mean it that it's so much easier lying in the bed than standing next to it. And that's one of the toughest things to have to say because throughout my life, I've always been the guy lying in bed. I've always been the sick guy. And even to be on the edge of the bed with our son when he was so unwell, it's such a helpless experience. So in regards to some advice around that, firstly, I just think that sometimes we don't need the people that are sitting next to us to give us all the answers. Sometimes we just need need an ear. Sometimes we don't want to talk. We just want to have someone close by. But in regards to advice, I, I really think that you need to care for you first. And it's, you know, people say, oh, it's easy. It's easy to say that, but all my time and energy and effort needs to go into that person that's unwell. But the problem is if every part of you goes to that person that's unwell, you're going to have nothing left for yourself. And you can never care for somebody as much as what you could care for them if you took care of yourself. So we need to make sure that we, you know, the three steps that I talk about is activate, meditate, and appreciate. Every morning, do some sort of exercise, some sort of aerobic exercise that allows your heart to get going. The second thing is meditation. You know, we have 80,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative. So give ourselves permission to just stop and breathe. And then the last one is appreciation, which is the, the gratitude. Find every day three things that you're grateful for to be able to assist your mental strength and your mental clarity. For a long time, I thought that it was a sign of weakness rather than a sign of strength to actually go and get help and speak to a counselor. And I think for those that are caring for others that are really in deep, dark places, I think that's so important that you, you invest in yourself, you value yourself, you love yourself. If you love that person with all your heart, then you need to make sure you invest in yourself first, because otherwise you're not actually giving them the best care, the best love, the best support, the best guidance, the best reassurance that you possibly can. So. I really think from an advice point of view, look inwardly before you start to support outwardly. Do what you can to make sure you are the best you can be. Make sure you have your self-care days. Make sure you, you know, go get a massage or meditate or have some quiet time alone by yourself. 
so that you have the ability to recharge the batteries. Your phone, when it's on, when it's on red, you always plug it in to recharge it. But you know, when was the last time you recharged yourself? And also, I, I love the analogy about the petrol, the fuel, gas. When my light comes on in the car, that means that I've got 85 kilometers to go before I need to fill up. I'll probably drive for three days before I finally go to the petrol station and fill up. And my wife will go, hey, the red light's on. And I'll go, yeah, yeah. And she goes, how long has that been on? I was like, oh, a couple of days. She's like, you need to go and fill up. You know, she'll make sure that we don't run out of fuel. Whereas my wife will get to half full and she'll go and top it up. And I think the analogy that I like to use there, it's so important that we wait often, and especially during Christmas period and holidays, we all get sick during the holidays because we're just go, 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 go. And then eventually, or finally, we get to a point where we're just like, oh, let's just relax. And then our body just gives away for a moment and we all get crook and then we have to fight ourselves back up. I think really importantly, especially if you're someone that's taking care of somebody, don't wait until your tank is empty. Don't wait until your tank is on E. Don't wait until the red light comes on. You know, Get to a point where you're consistently investing in yourself so you can constantly top your tank up so you can be that best person to serve others. That's such a wonderful reminder, Michael. You're really reminding us to recharge at the time when you don't need it the most. But when you consistently fill in your cup, that's when you can give the most to people. So I love that reminder about recharging, meditating, appreciating. Michael, I've also heard you say this before, that there are two types of people in this world, the optimists and the pessimists. And you refer to them as the victims and the navigators. Our adversities do not define you, but it's how we respond and how we deal with it. So for yourself, you are living well beyond all the dire or even hopeless prognosis of, of your health and the different news that doctors have given you about how short-lived your life may have been. We're in 2024 now, but as you think towards what's upcoming for you and what lies ahead, how do you feel and what excites you moving forward? For a long time, I was excited and, and hopeful that one day I could walk my daughter to school. And now I'm so driven around my health that one day I want to make sure I'm healthy enough to walk her down the aisle. And that's how that changes everything. That changes the way that I live. It changes the way that I eat. It changes the way that I watch TV. It changes the way that I drive. It changes the way that I work. It changes everything because my why is far greater than the expectations of others. And for that, I am, I'm super excited by, you know, I, I said often, there are only two types of people in the world. There are those that use the pain and suffering of their life to justify their poor excuses, their suffering and their failures. And there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering as the motivation to succeed. I just want to be that guy. I want to use the motivation. I want to use the pain and the suffering and the heartache and the consistent setbacks as the fuel to my fire that ignite me in a way that great health and ease and comfort will never give us. You know, I, I want to seek discomfort daily to allow me to be able to lead and live a, uh, a truly remarkable life. I know that I'm as old as I've ever been, but I'm also as young as I will ever be. So I, I really want to make sure that I live in the now and embrace the now and love the now and enjoy every breath that I am so privileged enough to take. One of the things that really stood out to me, Michael, is just the beauty of the impermanence of life. And the reason for that is because you have walked that journey. You watch your son, Lachlan, being in the ICU and you remember that those were the days that you have lied in bed and your mom was standing there supporting you. 
And now you speak about how your desire is really to just see Summer Grace and for you to have the opportunity to walk down the aisle with her. So I thought that that was such an incredible reminder just about the impermanence of life. So, you know, even as we are moving towards the final question of our episode today, Michael, as part of the many, many hats that you wear as a globally renowned inspirational speaker, author, one of the things that you teach is about language, is about perspective, is about reframing. So we would love for you to share with our audience about the power of language and what your advice is for those of us who are prone to a lot of negative self-talk. We have 80,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative. I think through meditation and gratitude journal, that obviously can assist massively in actually allowing, you know, and I always ask who, who meditates and who's tried meditating. And I always ask who stopped meditating because their mind runs a hundred miles an hour. That self-talk is just so much. What I think happens when we meditate is we actually slow things down and we get to actually hear a little more of what our mind is saying. And when we start to hear a little more of what our mind is saying, we have the ability to course correct that language. And to your point, you know, I, I think the words we speak register far deeper than we could ever begin to imagine. I think they say that negative words register 40 times more powerfully than positive words. So if we were to say something negative about ourselves, then just simply to course correct and get us back to an even playing field, we need to say 40 things positive about ourselves. And how often we say to ourselves, oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, what a dumb move that was. Or God, I'm a, whatever it is. Those, those negativities really have such a, a detrimental impact on our ability to stay optimistic and resilient and have the courage to grow and, and push forth. So I think when it comes to language, you know, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. And I know that sounds really silly, but we need how, to have words of affirmation every day. You know, every morning I'm on that tramp, the little gym tramp outside. And, you know, I say my affirmation, I'm going to be healthy, happy, and stronger every single day, healthier, happier, and stronger every single day. I want to reinforce in my mind that I'm going to be happy regardless of the challenges that we face. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to go and live this life as best I possibly can with what I've been given. You know, I always love saying the card question, and that is, People tell me all my life I've been dealt with some really crappy cards, but whilst everyone being dealt cards, that means I'm still in the game. And it's about how I choose to play those cards that allows me to live a great life. So stop comparing your cards to other people and start being grateful that you still have cards. And, and the language stuff is, it's so simple, but it's so micro. We must get so micro. If I say to you, Sarah, how are you? How often have you said to other people, not bad? Not bad. Okay, well, stop telling me what you're not and start telling me what you are. If you're not bad, first two words, not negative, bad, negative. Both of those two words actually are telling your brain that life is not good. So tell me what you are. If I say, how are you? Tell me that you're great and fantastic. Life is good. When work is really crazy and you're just stressed out and people say, how are you? Oh, I'm just so overworked at the moment. I'm so stressed out. That's smashing you. And that is not positive language. That is not serving you well. So what I reframe that with is it's character building. So rather than saying to somebody, and, and often when you say character building, people laugh because they know that life has been a little tricky for you right now. But what it says to you from a subconscious point of view is when I say my time in life at the moment is character building, what it's doing is it's just simply building my character. And if every day I'm going through something that builds my character, then I'm being more resilient, I'm becoming stronger, and the foundation of my life is getting stronger and better and more powerful. 
So it's almost like I'm laying more concrete in the foundation that I'm building for my family and for my life. And I think the way that our brain attaches to these uncomfortable moments in our life changes dramatically because we're like, all right, there's some really character building times that are happening right now in my life. And this is actually demonstrating to me that I have so much more in me than what I give myself credit for. When we think we're given 100%, we're probably about 60 to 70%. So we actually have so much more in us. So that language, and even reframing, you know, when I'm away, as you know, I, I travel, I, I did 11 countries in seven weeks to finalize my global tour late last year. And that was crazy. And I spent a fair bit of time away from my family, which was character building, definitely character building for my wife, that's for sure. But I realized then that when we reframe and, and course correct and realize that life is going to continue regardless of the challenges that you go through. But again, it's a season. It's this time shall pass. You know, it's about living for the now and embracing the moment. I think there's so much to that to really understand that when you're away from somebody, you often say to them, oh, I miss you so much. If you say that to somebody, Janice, if you say, I miss you so much, what does that, how does that make you feel in here just for a moment? Does it make yeah. you feel good or, or not no, so good? No, it's like longing, right? It's the absence that you're focusing on. It hurts, right? Yeah. So when I'm away from my kids, I say, oh, I miss you so much. How does that make me feel? It makes me longing. It makes me dark. It makes me in pain. What does it make them feel? Sad, for sure. It, they, they, it, it focuses exactly. on whether you're not here. <laughs> exactly yeah. the same. So by me telling them that I miss them so much, it hurts me and it hurts them. So why would I say it? We're crazy to say it. So now I say, I'm so excited to see you. Only six more sleeps. How does that make me feel? I love that. I mean, you reframe I'm jumping out of my skin, yeah. right? Anticipation. And how does it make them feel? They're jumping out of their skin. They're ready to go to the airport. They're running up on a chalkboard at home. They're putting a line through it every day. Five more sleeps, four more sleeps, three more sleeps till I see you, daddy. Like that energy oh. that we create just by reframing something so what we perceive as insignificant can have such a profound impact. And I think that the more we can do that on a day-to-day -day basis and we call people out on it, we drive accountability, we can really, really start to change. Uh, we can change our life. We can change our, our, our family's lives, but we can even shift the culture within our organization just by really being micro around the words that we speak. Absolutely. And such a great reminder on, on the power of reframing and on the language that we use, whether that is internally or externally, it certainly makes a difference, right? And again, it's just about being accountable as well. Like That's be right. super accountable for what comes out your mouth, you know, and, and especially as a parent, if I say to my son, don't throw the ball in the house, he's going to throw the ball in the house. If I say, hey, son, got a great idea. Let's take the ball outside and we can throw the ball outside. Then he'll take the ball outside and throw it. And then we won't have to replace that window. You know, it's just, it's just amazing when we reframe things. Everything can start to change. So Janice, moving forward, it's not about, you know, hey, Janice with Sarah and like we miss each other because we haven't seen each other. It's like we're excited to see you. Three more sleeps until I see you next. That's right. <laughs> I love it. Changes love. the energy immediately. Michael, one final question that we always ask our guests at the end of every episode is this. What is something that you would like to explore more of? Well, I'm exploring a lot of the world at the moment, so we don't need to throw that in there. I would like to explore a little more of my backyard. So that means I'm home, which means I'm with the kids. What would I like? I, I really, really understand 
now the value and the importance of meditation. So I would really like to explore that a little bit more. I'm a man of great faith. I would love to continue to explore the relationship that I have with the Lord. Uh, and there's a few other little, not one answer, I'm sorry, but there's, there's a few other like silence retreats that I would like to look into and explore. There's the dark retreat where you go away for three, five or seven days and there's no noise and no sight. You wear a mask for three, five or seven days. You actually explore yourself. You actually explore what is so deeply ingrained in you that you need to identify so that you can course correct and change. So there is, you know, there is a lot of things, but right now I'm exploring the importance of being truly present as a dad and as a husband. I really want to make sure that my, my son and my daughter see my eyes and not my forehead. I, I want to make sure that I'm that the greatest dad that I possibly can be, because I think that's the legacy that I can leave in generational change. Wow, that's so beautifully said. And we love that you gave us so many answers of what it is that you're exploring, <laughs> which is in turn, you know, inspiring us to, and hopefully our listeners as well, to start thinking about what is it that they would like to explore more of this beautiful life that they are given. Uh, Michael, we just want to thank you for such an inspiring and encouraging episode. And, you know, your reminders to us that whatever it is that we are dealt with in life, this too all shall pass, whether it is the highs or the lows in life and how we should all really make the best of our time here on earth as you really have, you know, as you found your purpose and you share your message uh, with those of us on this earth. And no matter what life, the cards that life throws at you, it's about how we choose to play those cards that will allow us to live a great life and to actually be grateful that we are still being dealt the cards because it means that we are still in the game. So with that... <laughs> We just want to thank you for your time, Michael, and we hope that this episode inspires our listeners to live a life as meaningfully as they can. Awesome. It's been a great to share a little of my heart with you all, and I think it's so important that we remember that through great darkness, that is our discovery moment. We don't discover how unfair our life is. We truly begin to discover how powerful we have been created. So dig deep, realize you got more in you than what you ever gave yourself credit for, and really love and be grateful for the life that you have. Bless you, ladies. Thank you so much. If you stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every alternate Mondays at 8pm. See you then!